you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 6. <clears throat> One of the most famous and strangest fight songs to come out of the Second World War was a song called Blood on the Risers. It was sung specifically by two airborne divisions that fought in World War II, the 101st and the 82nd. And the song was popularized, many of you may have heard it, if you watch the HBO series Band of Brothers. It is a strange song. It is about a rookie paratrooper who makes his first jump and his chute does not open. Uh, the song begins, gory, gory. What a terrible way to die. Not exactly those words, but... You can find out what they are for yourself. But it's all about how he goes out of the airplane, he's waiting, he's waiting, his chute never opens. And then his reserve chute wraps around his legs and he hits the ground and blood spatters. It's a terrible song, really. And it was a song, really, that was uh, written by a paratrooper as a warning. Because in the second lyric... It says he did not fasten his static line. Now, if you've watched movies of men jumping out of airplanes or you've jumped out of one, in the Air Force we had a name for people that jumped out of airplanes that were still working. wasn't very nice. I won't tell you what it was. But you, you take, there is a static line that will pull your chute. You put it on a cable that's inside the airplane. So that when you go out the door, you don't pull a chute. It's not, you're not skydiving. But when you go out the door, you're, you've hooked to that static line, it pulls your chute. So he forgot to do that. And as a result, he died. The song is sung to the tune of the Battle Hymn of the Republic. And the last line is, and he ain't gonna jump no more. Well, the reason he ain't gonna jump no more is because he's dead. Well, if I were going to write a song about Romans 6, the last line would be, sin is a tyrant and he ain't going to reign no more. Why? Because we have died to sin. That, that is what Paul has been saying. That's what we've been talking about. Consider yourselves dead to sin. In order to do that, you have to be dead to sin. If you are a believer... You have died to sin. Sin can no longer have dominion over you. You can still sin and will, but it will not reign anymore. Sin cannot reign over you. The, it, it, verse 12, let not, therefore, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. For sin will, no, will have no dominion over you. What is Paul saying? Not complicated. He's saying stop sinning and obey God. Sin no longer has the mastery over you. Got it? Sin can reign no more over the one who has been born anew. One who has been made a new creation in Jesus Christ. Now, all of us 
know and have overcoming life-dominating sins that are not so easy to stop. We wrestle with sin. We fight with it. Even though we can see that these sins are having a destructive effect in our lives. And don't just think about sins of the flesh, although they're there. Don't just think, though, about adultery and drunkenness and homosexuality. Think of anxiety. Think of worry. Think of a lack of faith, a lack of trust. Think of slander and gossip. All of those things are sins. And you may, you may fight with one, and I fight with another. But all of us have struggles with some sort of sin. So how do we stop it? How do we, on, an, on a consistent basis, say in our lives that sin ain't going to reign no more? That's what Paul is talking about in these verses. Now, I told you last week, I have been struggling for over 60 years to understand and apply the truths that are in Romans chapter 6. And so I'm not pretending that I can say to you this morning, here, take these two verses and everything will be fine in the morning. No, you're going to have to struggle with it as well. You're going to have to grapple with these truths until they become a part of the fabric of your daily thinking and practice. It is simply my job to remind you of what the Bible says, of what is true about you if you are a believer, to help you get on the right path. But you're going to experience that daily victory over sin. And it, I say victory because it is a battle. It is a, it is a battle. And we're wrestling every day with with some kind of sin. And Paul says it's, it's life and death. Jesus said that as well. You know, Jesus said, you know, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. He didn't mean to literally take your eye out, of course. What he meant was do whatever is necessary to get rid of that sin in your life. Because if you don't, it will destroy you. So whatever discipline is required, well, Paul is giving us, not a secret, it's not a secret, but he is telling us very clearly how we can have victory over those sins that tended to dominate us before we, believe, we were believers, that we can have victory over them on a consistent daily basis. In order to apply this truth to your lives, you have to believe and understand what Paul has said in the first 11 verses uh, of chapter 6. I'm basing that observation on the word therefore in verse 12. Therefore shows that the commands of verses 12, 13, and 14 rest on the truths that Paul has set forth really in, in the first five and a half chapters of Romans. All of this is possible because what, of what Paul has been teaching in Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 
in the first 11 verses of, of chapter 6. This is, um, this is my 62nd message in the book of Romans. My, it has just flown by, has it not? It seems like we just started. But anyway, let me recap for you Paul's main point. First, he says the universal human problem is that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Thankfully, God did not leave us under his judgment. He provided a way to preserve his justice and yet still justify sinners. He sent his own son, Jesus Christ, as a man to live a perfect life and to die in our place to pay the penalty that we deserved, the penalty of death. And God now graciously justifies the ungodly person who does not work for his salvation, but who puts his faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin and the gift of eternal life. So, formally, he says in chapter 5, we were all identified with Adam. We are born in Adam. But when we are born again, we identify with Christ. We are in Christ. We are united to Christ in his death to sin and his resurrection life that we will experience fully and completely when he returns or when we die physically. But in the meantime, when we are tempted to sin, we are to consider, are to reckon, are to count that we have died to sin. Again, that reckon, remember, is an accounting term. You can only reckon what is true. It is true that when Christ died, you died. That's the whole point of chapter 5. When Adam sinned, you sinned. Okay, but when you come to Christ, now you are in Christ. When Christ died, your old man died. The old self died to sin. Now vestiges of that old man remain. What the Bible calls flesh, the lust of the flesh. It, 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 there are things that remain with us. Here's the difference. Before we were believers, whenever we are tempted to sin, we yielded to temptation. We had no power to do otherwise. Even though the law was plainly telling us that it was wrong and that it would destroy us eternally, we just sinned. We didn't, couldn't do anything about it. But now that we are in Christ, we can say, no, I'm not going to yield to that sin. When temptation comes, I can say, no, I've died to sin. I'm alive in Christ. I will not do that. But you have to make a conscious effort. It is not let go and let God. That's not what he's talking about. There must be a conscious act of the will. We'll talk more about that. John, the great uh, John Murray, uh, fabulous theologian, says that to say to a slave... Don't behave as a slave is to mock his slavery. But to a man who has been set free from slavery, to say, 
don't behave as a slave, is to encourage him to walk in the light of his new freedom. To say to a person who is not a Christian, stop sinning, is futile. I think, I think the evangelical church in America today has forgotten that. We run around all over society and all over culture and say, oh, that's a terrible thing you're doing. Don't do that. Well, duh. If you're in Adam, you can't help it. To, to tell an unbeliever, don't sin anymore, is completely ridiculous. But to tell a believer, don't sin anymore, is to encourage them to walk in the light of the victory that they now have in Jesus Christ. The commands that Paul gives in, in verses 12 and 13 make no sense at all unless you are in Christ by virtue of being justified by faith alone. But to those who are in Christ, they make perfect sense. If you are a believer and you come to me and say, I've got this problem with, with pornography. I, I can't quit looking at it. What do I do? Stop it. Just stop it. Well, I, I can't. Okay, then one of two things is true. Either you're not really a believer, or you're not applying the truth of Romans 6. Start applying the truth of Romans 6. You've died to sin. You can resist the temptation. Uh, the, the plain truth of these verses is, is that sin is a tyrant that will reign over us if we allow it to. Look, look at, think of these verses under a couple of headings. First of all, the appeal of sin. Paul's command in 6.12 shows that we were on target in the first 11 verses when I said this does not mean that we are freed from sin in the sense that we are perfect, that we can no longer sin anymore, that we will not sin anymore. As a believer, are you going to feel strong desire to sin? Is there going to be a lust for sin? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is going to be there. When sin comes knocking at our door, we, we can't just automatically, you know, slam the door and say, I'm not interested. It doesn't bother me. Yes, it's going to bother me. If that were not the case, Paul would not have given the command, do not let sin reign. Being dead to sin is not a feeling that you will achieve someday when you are spiritually mature. A lot of people think that's the case here. Well, you know, I'll keep growing till finally one day I'll be dead to sin and it won't be a battle anymore. That old dog won't hunt. That's an old hymn we used to sing here. It is a spiritual truth that you must believe and act on. Most of the time in opposition to your feelings and your lust. You want to do that sin. Why? Because there is pleasure in sin for a season. So you want that temporary pleasure, that temporary gratification that sin brings. But as a believer, you can 
deny yourself, you can say no. That power comes by virtue of your union with Jesus Christ. But being in Christ does not eradicate the lust of the flesh. A lot of people think somehow, well, if I really get to be a strong enough Christian, I won't be tempted anymore. I remember talking to a to an old man, an evangelist who had been in ministry many, many years. I just thought he's not near as old now as he was then. But anyway, uh, we, we were young men, and we were talking about lust. And I remember asking Brother Jess, I said, Brother Jess, when does... When does that stop? When do you no longer feel that that lusting after the opposite sex? And he was 81 at the time. He said, well, you've got to be older than I am. I thought, oh, no. That's terrible. It, it's going to be there. That you, you, you can't deny that. And then the deception of sin. We, we tend to think of sin as a benign force that we can manage or control. What, what did Satan say to Eve when he came to her at the garden? You eat the fruit, you'll be like God. Well, who doesn't want to be like God? Well, of course this is a good thing to eat this fruit. Absolutely. It being like God, the whole object of life. I used to read that verse and I used to think, what? what is that? But people, you can't be like God by disobeying His Word. That's not possible. Sin will deceive you into saying, oh, you'll be more spiritual if you do this or that. Satan presented sin as if it were a good thing. And it would help Eve in her quest for happiness. He still does the same thing. Commit adultery. Cheat on your husband or your wife. It's a good thing. It'll feel good. It, 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 it's something you need to do. But Paul personifies sin as an evil tyrant that will reign over you and it ultimately will lead to death if you let it. It's like going to a doctor and having him tell you you've got, you've got cancer in your body. We need to cut it out. And you're saying, no, I think I'll just live with it. You can't live with a little cancer. You can't live with a little sin. It will destroy you. You cannot live with a little bit of sin and think that you can use it safely to pursue happiness. Going back to the, the many men today, mostly men, think that they can tolerate a little bit of pornography in their lives. I read a thing a couple of years ago. I thought it was the saddest thing I'd ever read. The man who has the highest IQ that's ever been recorded in the world lives in Los Angeles, California. He watches pornography 12 hours a day. What a horrible waste. That man is not a believer. To tell him to stop it would be futile. But to believers, we can say, no. Again, Jesus said, if you don't deal with sin, if you don't reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to God, Sin will destroy you, and it will send you to hell. Because either you are not a believer, or you're not applying the truth of Romans 6. My, many of you know my youngest son got addicted to pain pills. He broke his back in a car wreck when he was 16 years old. 
and it was it was a terrible ordeal. He stood in front of my desk one day crying and I looked at him and I said, John, if you don't stop, you're going to hell. You, you can't imagine how heartbreaking it is to tell one of your children that. I said, you have the capacity to stop. If you don't stop, then it's evidence that you are not a believer. So start applying these truths that are found here. And he did. And it's a struggle for him every day. But he takes it one day at a time. If you're a slave of sin, the outcome will be death. That's guaranteed. So Paul says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. And then he says, do not present your members to sin. Several times in chapter 7, Paul makes it uh, sound like that sin reigns uh, or resides in our bodies. And we have to be careful here. Uh, a very early heresy of the church is something called Gnosticism. And it's terribly complicated. There's been volumes written about it. But one of the things that the Gnostics taught was that the body and all matter was evil, but that the spirit was good. And that led Christians to two extremes. Some of them uh, became ascetics. They treated the body harshly. They denied themselves the pleasures of, uh, of anything, really. They abstained from anything that brought pleasure, because that would be sin, even even valid marital relationships. They believed that they could attain spiritual growth that way. That, that's how the uh, convents and the uh, monastic orders came about. By denying yourself basic pleasures, you would become more spiritual. The others reasoned, if the body is already evil, then it doesn't matter what I do. I don't sin with my spirit. I only sin with my body. So the body can do just anything. So they indulge the flesh with that kind of twisted logic. But the Bible affirms that our bodies are good and that physical pleasures within the boundaries of God's word are to be enjoyed and that we are to use our bodies to glorify God. Matter of fact, in Colossians chapter 2, Paul says that harsh treatment of the body is of no value against fleshly indulgences. Therefore, I think when Paul talks here about your mortal body, he's talking about the whole person. Sin in the heart manifests itself through your bodies. That, that is the way that we see sin. That, I think, supported by the parallelism in verse 13, Paul says, not to present your members to sin... The next line, present yourselves to God. Uh, I think that he is simply saying the body is not evil, but the body is the way that sin manifests itself, whether they be sins of the flesh or sins of the heart, uh, jealousy, pride, anger, greed, all of those things. Paul uses the terms mortal body and your members because these are the way the passions of the heart manifest themselves. They come through our 
physical bodies. Paul is not arguing that the body is a cause of sin, but that it is the organ through which sin manifests itself so that believers obey it. Uh, and, of course, I think he uses the word mortal to emphasize the fact that we're all going to die, that, that sin is pleasurable for a season, but it leads to death. It leads to eternal death. The joy of being reconciled to God and the eternal rewards that come with it are joys, and they are eternal. And he's basically saying you'd be a fool to indulge the, lore, the lust of your mortal bodies for a few years and be lost for eternity. For sin to reign, you must allow it to reign by giving your body to it as a weapon for unrighteousness. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. The word that is translated instruments can refer to tools, but most of the time in the New Testament, uh, it means weapons. Weapons. And so I think what Paul is saying here, you either give your body, the parts of your body, over to Satan to use as weapons of unrighteousness, or you give them to God to be used as weapons for righteousness. The point is here, though, it's a struggle against sin. This is mortal combat, and you must engage the mind, the body, and the will, and the volition in order to achieve victory. And it's a daily battle, hourly battle sometimes. Present yourself, present your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Not to say, suppose that, suppose that a, a, a man breaks into your house and you are wrestling with him. He has a gun and he's threatening to kill you. And you're wrestling with him and he drops the gun. And so you pick the gun up and hand it back to him. I, that's dumber than a bag of hammers. Nobody do that. In the same way, don't present your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Don't hand the gun back to Satan. Don't do that. Reckon yourself to be dead to sin, but alive to God. In Romans 6, 1 through 11, Paul appealed to the mind. He uses the word no. Verse 3, verse 6, verse 9. And to the heart, consider or reckon. Depends on faith. Faith comes from the heart. Now, he appeals to the will. He says, stop sinning and start obeying. And this appeal rests on the knowledge of who you are now in Christ and believing that truth when you face temptation. When temptation comes, you say, I am in Christ. I have died to sin. I am alive to God. I will stop. I will not commit that sin. You choose to act on what you know, on what you have reckoned. You choose to act on the truth. Again, he, he doesn't say just let go and let God. To stop sinning, you must take aggressive 
action to deny its attempt to rule your life. When the temptation to sin comes, you must be aggressive because you have the power to, to not sin. You are able not to sin. This is where just say no is a good motto. Just say no. Don't do it. That, that's what Paul tells us in numerous places. Flee immorality. Flee from idolatry. Flee youthful lust. Remember the story of, of Joseph when he is uh, in, the, in the house with Potiphar's wife and she tries to seduce him, pulls his garment off of him. I love what the old 1611 version says. Joseph got himself out. Listen, when sin comes and appeals to you and tempts you, get your bad self out. Just get out. Just say, no, no, I will not. I am a new person. I am dead to sin. I am alive to Christ. You have to flee immorality. You, you have to resist it aggressively. And the first step in doing that is to present yourself to God. Present yourself to God. Give yourself in service to God is the literal meaning of what he's saying here. You must enthrone God and dethrone self. That's the major problem I have with the 12-step the programs like AA. They never dethrone self. Uh, God, however you conceive him to be, is not enthroning Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. Uh, your motive for overcoming sin is to please the Lord who gave himself for you, who died in your place. And again, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, alienated from God, God's enemy. But God has made you alive in Christ through the new birth. You must, again, you must apply the truth of the gospel. You have been declared righteous in Christ. You have received new life. Unbelievers can become more outwardly moral by self-effort. But it's like putting a tuxedo on a pig. First mud hole he comes to, they'll jump in it. To overcome its nature, a pig would have to have a new nature. One that's not like a pig. To overcome temptation on the heart level, you must have a new nature. If you are a believer, you do have a new nature. Your old man has died. That's the truth. Well, you know, preacher, I just don't feel like it. I don't care what you feel. Stop it. <laughs> Three-year-olds act on the basis of their feelings. Adults are supposed to act on the basis of truth. The truth is, if you are a believer, you have died to the old nature. The old nature has died, and it can no longer have dominion over you. Verse 14, 
For sin will not have dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. I could, I could preach five or six sermons on that one verse. Don't panic, I'm not going to. But, but it would be possible. The subject of law and grace is a very, very difficult one. But notice that the first part of this verse is not a promise, but a command. Sin will have no dominion over you. That's a command. Don't let sin have dominion over you. Why? You're not under law. You're under grace. And again, if you are not experiencing consistent victory over sin, at worst, you are not a Christian, or at best, you don't understand the truths of Romans 6. If you are positive, if you are confident, you are a believer, then just keep reading Romans 6 till you get it. So you understand that you have died to sin. And sin cannot, will not, must not have dominion over you anymore. Because you are not under law. You are under grace. If you are not in Christ, Christ invites you to come to him. He died for your sins, was buried, and he rose from the dead on the third day. God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And when you receive God's grace, when you receive Christ, the power of sin is broken in your life. And sin will have no dominion over you. In Christ, you can stop sinning. In Christ, you can say no to sin and yes to God, to the glory of the one who loved you and gave himself for you. Let's pray. Our Father and our God.